Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, but it's not just me. Rosie's here, and we've got the guy panel assembling, which is going to be great. There's no snacks allowed in the studio, which is always a, a positive. And we've got uh, Jeff Verdorn uh, here today, as long as as well as Tom Parrish and Peter Kapsner is back in the U.S. Peter, welcome. Thanks, Bill. It's wow. great to be back with you guys. I I genuinely, it's hard for me to say this, but I genuinely missed you guys these last two weeks. We missed you we too. Missed you. Yeah. I uh, I went through the five stages of grief. Um, <laughs> Rel- relatively quickly, I would imagine. Yeah, I did. I had denial, <laughs> yeah. anger, bargaining, depression. I had it all. And uh, yeah. um, I accepted well. that you were going to be gone for three weeks, and now you're back. So it's nice to have you here. Love it. As you know, when we do Guy Talk, we take your questions. So let me know what they are. You can send them over via text to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. If you have a longer question, maybe you like email instead. It's bill at myfaithradio.com. So, gentlemen, to get the discussion started today, I would like for us to discuss the parable of the sower, which is out of Matthew 13. Jesus talks about the different kinds of soil um, and the four different kinds of uh, seed and soil. And I think this would be an interesting discussion for us to have. I don't know if we've done this before, but what do you say? Jeff, I'm looking at you because you're in studio. Well, let's, uh, you know, the, the parable of the sower is in Matthew. It's also in uh, Luke 8. And there are four uh, soils. The soils represent people's hearts. So we have four different people. You said there are four different seeds. There's actually one, one seed. seed. That's what I meant. Yep. It says the seed is the word of God. So yep. the seed comes. So uh, maybe we should just outline it really quick so everybody's got a brief uh, kind of overview. The first seed goes onto the path, but it's stolen away, right? And the interpretation is, is that Satan comes along and steals away the seed. So it never goes into the person's heart. The next uh, uh, seed is it's received with joy. It goes into the soil. It sprouts. There's actually growth there. Uh, but then uh, help me out here. I'm looking for it. Is that the one that's uh, uh, in rocky or is it tro- It's rocky soil. But it's rocky soil, and it's it's parched. It doesn't grow very well, and it doesn't produce any fruit. The third one, uh, the seed goes into the soil, and the seed sprouts. There's this new growth, this new life. But as soon as it starts growing, the weeds choke it out, and it becomes unfruitful. It says in the interpretation that the deceitfulness of wealth chokes it out. Uh, and then the fourth one, of course, is the good one. This is the one where the, the the seed goes into the soil and it begins to grow and it produces much fruit. So there's mm-hmm. kind of the overview. Good overview. So now, Tom, why doesn't Tom start and, and start working on the interpretation then? Well, it's it's one of these uh, interpretations can be taken a couple different ways. And it has, what we have to be careful of is going into the Word and comparing what it says in the different texts and what it actually, Jesus is saying. When he starts out and he says here, you know, hear the parable of the sower, 
you know, anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown. Uh, that's pretty heavy language. And I think we have to take that seriously. Uh, it's not just that the person neglected it. It's not just that they, they didn't, you know, wind up in church the next Sunday or go to Bible school. They wound up literally letting nothing happen. And the evil one took it away. They got enticed to other things. You know, you go on, you have a progression here from the evil one to, you know, the rocky ground to the thorns. Each one of them is a progression. Some spring up, last a little longer, and then fade away <clears throat> or get choked out. And I think as a pastor for nearly 50 years, I've seen this in people. I mean, I, 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 it's hard to, to unilaterally say these people have no hope at all or they're not saved. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is I've seen the reality of this in people's lives where they will receive Jesus. They will get excited and then they fall away. I mean, things get in their way and they, they aren't there. They don't follow through. And it's really sad to see, it, but it's a reality. And I think what I've learned over the years, because uh, I was a real student of Billy Graham for a long time. But what I learned from Billy Graham and the others that worked with him over the years is that I want to take the next step. So when I ask people to receive Jesus, guys, I not only ask them to repent and to receive Jesus into their life as Lord and Savior, but also to make the commitment to now be his lifelong disciple. And that's ultimately the goal, that the discipleship continues from today to tomorrow to the next day till the end of time. And that's really what number four is about. So that's what I try to teach people and help them understand and encourage them no matter where you're at on the path. You can always pick it back up. You can always go back and be re and you can grow to what Jesus wants, but you have to be willing. So one of the things that I see when I hear the different explanations of this parable is I think everybody agrees that the first one, the seed doesn't go in the heart, and that's a person who is unsaved. The fourth one, the seed goes in deeply and it's fruitful. And I think almost everybody universally believes that's the model. Uh, that person is obviously saved, and they are bearing fruit in every good work. It's the second and the third one where there's a little bit of uh, differences of opinion. Some say, well, they are not saved because there is no fruit. There's no fruit in their life, and therefore they are not true Christians. And I always ask when I hear that, well, wait a second here. Aren't we saved by faith, not by fruit? Is it the fruit that saves us, or is it our faith that saves us? Now, once we have faith, should we be bearing fruit? And the answer is, of course, God wants us to be that branch connected to the vine bearing fruit. One of the So I actually believe that the second and the third are actually saved. That seed goes into the soil and there's germination. There's new life from that dead seed. I think that's a picture of being born again and they're saved, but they're not fruitful. And so can you have a Christian who is not bearing fruit for the Lord? Are they true? If, can you have someone who's truly saved but not bearing fruit? And in reality, and by the way, one of the things that I take to this parable is that once we're saved, I believe we are always saved forever. That's that assurance of salvation concept, that once you're born again, once you receive the Holy Spirit, you're saved forever. Second Peter 1.8 actually says this. It says about basically the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kind. If you possess these things in ever-increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your Christian faith. What do I gain, glean from that? I glean that you can be a born-again Christian, but not bearing fruit for God. You can be ineffective 
and unproductive. So not only do I believe number two and number three are actually saved, I actually believe it's many Christians today fall in that second and third category. The deceitfulness of this world and the cares of the wealth of this world are choking them out and not being fruitful. And I think that's a lot of people in the church. Yeah, I've been thinking Here's as you guys have been row. talking. Again, <laughs> definitely can't do that, but but maybe I can just add some things from that last category of what it means to have good soil. And, and I'm thinking a little bit about what we're talking about related to bearing fruit and and the passages in James where it talks about uh, the relationship of our faith and then the works that come from that faith. And I think sometimes um, we could read a passage like this and we, and we desperately want to fall into category number four. We We want to show that we have the good soil of the heart. And so we maybe on a, on a Sunday after church, we hear a sermon and we make a commitment to be a better spouse or a better parent or a better uh, employee, somebody at work, a better friend, whatever it is. And, and we make these commitments because we feel like, gosh, in order for me to, to show that I'm bearing fruit and be a part of this fourth category, I, I better back, buck up and start doing this uh, a, a lot better. And I think what we have to be mindful of is that we're not uh, the ones who cause the growth to happen in our hearts, and we're not the ones who cause the fruit to be born. Our job is to cultivate the soil. And, uh, and when it talks about that relationship in the book of James between our faith and then the works or the fruit that come from that kind of faith, uh, faith is simply a constant and continual leaning into Jesus in trust. It's, it's a place of yes. humility. It's a place of I don't really know for sure. Um, all things about the kingdom. It, it means that I don't know the future. It, it, it just means a lot of I don't knows. But here, what I'm gonna here's what I'm gonna do, is I'm gonna cultivate a heart of trust. And from that soil, when 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 the seeds of God's kingdom get planted into the soil of a heart of trust, what begins to naturally but supernaturally grow from that place are, are the works or the fruit of the kingdom. So I just want to encourage people who are listening that when you hear this and, and you're desperately trying to avoid categories one, two, and three by going out and making a bunch of commitments to show our faith and all that, no, just simply be a person who is willing to to tend to the soil of your heart and and constantly go back and um, and and do the work of humility, of belief, of trust, and that kind of thing. And and over time, there's going to be strong roots that grow from that. And from those roots, then strong plants will will emerge from the surface. And from those strong plants and healthy plants, then fruit will be born. The the fruit comes from our relationship with Jesus, not from our ability to to try to do it well. You know, really quick, Peter, what you just described is exactly what John says in, in John 15 in the vine and the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear fruit. And the more we abide, the more fruit we will bear. Because apart from him, you can do nothing. Nothing. Can I have one more thought to this, or are we at a break here? No, absolutely, Tom Parrish. Go ahead. I'm looking at Matthew 13 and Matthew 24, and Jesus says here, Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. When tribulation comes, he falls away. And then he talks about the one who endures to the end will be saved. I'm stuck with those passages, too. And although I want to lean 99% to where, you know, 2, 3, and 4 are in the kingdom of God, there are other parts of Scripture that give this impression that our endurance or our confidence in Jesus must go to the very end of our life and not just be sporadic along the way. So we don't start here on October 12th, you know, 1985, drop away forever, and then hope at the end we go to heaven. No, we have to endure to the end, trusting in Jesus. 
And so it's a struggle, and, and I, it's a theological struggle I think we all have. But I think, Peter and Jeff, you're hitting the nail on the head. The key to this enduring is not enduring with how much fruit we produce. It's wonderful to do that, but it's who we continue to trust in. And if we continue to cling to Jesus in the midst of this, even if we're not as fruitful as we'd like to be, that's where a person needs to be for eternity. All right. Great comment. So when we come back, I want to continue to talking about uh, fruit. The question is regarding bearing fruit in the Bible. Can someone define what the fruit is? And I think there's a lot more to discuss on fruit because I think there's oftentimes we produce fruit that we are completely unaware of. Um, So how do we evaluate how much fruit is there in our life? Because that'll be our topic of discussion when we come back. You're listening to Guy Talk or Guys Who Talk, and they're doing a great job. Jeff Verdorn. Tom Parrish, Peter Kapsner. That's the squad. Be right back. Thank you for being with us today, you're listening to uh, Guy Talk, or Guys Who Talk, and they're doing a great job of answering questions, so all you have to do is send them over, 877-933-2484. We're talking about uh, the parable of the sower and the four different kinds of soils. The seed goes in, and we're going to continue to talk about f- bearing fruit in the Bible. That's the question that came in. Can someone define what the fruit is? Who wants to jump on that one? Yes. Yeah. 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 Go ahead, Tom. I really, again, I've been doing this a long time, and of course, I really got caught up in teaching the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Those are all part of the fruit, no question about it. But I think what really struck me, maybe 20 years ago, is I was doing a Bible study, and I was praying and saying, Lord, what do you really want the Christian to produce in their life? And what came back to me through the Word, uh, I didn't hear a voice, nothing like that, but through the Word, and, and gave me a piece of my heart, is that our goal is to reflect Jesus in everything we do. And that includes loving people, serving people, forgiving people, doing the things that build the kingdom of God, doing the things that make disciples. And as I look at Jesus in the scriptures, uh, that's the fruit I want. I want people, when I die, to say, when I was in his presence, I felt like I was in the presence of Jesus. Yeah, I'm really, I love that passage from Galatians 5, 22 and 23, where it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, and then it goes on with joy, peace, uh, forbearance, mm-hmm. kindness. Uh, we've talked about that passage, I think, a few times on Guy Talk, and it, when you read it just straightforward in the English, it sure appears as if there are nine different fruits uh, that are part of the Christian journey. But when you get into the mm-hmm. original language in which Paul was writing from uh, to this this church in Galatia, it's actually just one fruit that is birthed or, or born or produced as you trust in God and the Spirit begins to operate in the soil of your life. And that fruit is love. And then Paul goes to define further how love might express itself, meaning that if you took some sort of big watermelon and, and maybe pulled a Gallagher and threw it off the top of a roof somewhere and it just exploded all over the place, some of the seeds that would explode to your right would be joy and some would be peace and some would be forbearance and some would be kindness and goodness, but they would all have as their rootedness the the love of God's kingdom. So if somebody wants to know if they're growing as a follower of Jesus and what it means to be Christ-like and be in the right soil, 
what it means is that your heart is beginning to operate more and more and more as the the long days and months and, and years go by. You become a person who from the inside out is growing in the love of God's kingdom. And, and that love begins to express itself all around you uh, as a person who is naturally but supernaturally faithful or is growing in your gentleness, is growing in your kindness and your goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as a way to define love in God's kingdom. So I think sometimes we think that disciples are those who know the most scripture, and, and that may or may not be true, but one thing we can safely say, I know a lot of people, and myself included, that know a lot of scripture and are not terribly nice people and, and are not people that I really want to hang out with and are not people that when you're around them are demonstrating the characteristics or qualities of love that are the heartbeats of God's kingdom. I, I think sometimes we start with how well our theology is developed. And then we're like, we should probably love too. But that is so unbelievably upside down and backwards when it comes to what God's kingdom is. So for people who have the soil in their heart of trust and humility, um, God begins to grow this beautiful love that just starts spilling out in the world around us. And, and it is why it says they'll know that we are Christians how? Not by our scriptural knowledge, and, and please understand, I'm not demeaning scriptural knowledge, um, but they'll know we're Christians. The scripture actually says, by our love. And boy, I think we could use a lot mm-hmm. more of that. So mm-hmm. I want to I want to key off of your comment, Peter, where you said from the inside out. And when I teach on kind of the fruit uh, of, the, of a Christian, I like to describe it in terms of the internal fruit, which is the fruit of the Spirit, which you guys have mentioned, love, joy, peace. And I see that as an attitude of the heart, that inside part, Peter, that you were talking about. Because inside of us, we have this love, this joy, this peace, this patience, this kindness, and so on. I'm not naturally a patient person. I don't know if anybody else here is a naturally a patient person. But when I am abiding in Him, connected to Him, seeking Him first, I tend to display more patience. Now, these internal fruits of the fruit of the Spirit then needs to be reflected from the inside out, as you said, into the external fruit, the fruit of good works, if you will. We're created in Christ Jesus to do these good works. Uh, Think Tom mentioned, you know, encouraging one another, equipping one another, bearing each other's burdens, forgiving one another. These are the external good fruit, good works uh, of the fruit of, of works that we do to others, hopefully motivated by love, which is the internal fruit that then uh, is reflected in our external fr- fruit, how we deal with others, how we treat others, um, that, that showing our love, as you said, we will, they will know we are Christians by how we love one another. I was taught a powerful lesson 19 years ago when our first grandson died. Everybody came to the funeral. You know, when you have a child die, there's a large funeral. Lots of people show up, and everybody was kind. Everybody had nice things to say, and everybody was sorry. But there were only maybe two or three people out of that who a month later called me and wanted to know how I was doing. And six months later, following up and seeing, you know, if they could come over and sit and pray with Jen and I. And a year later, and to me, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit— You know, love, we can all have the emotion of love. We can all act on love temporarily. But is love becoming our way of life? And when it's a way of life, it's amazing how you don't forget people, how you keep them in your heart long term, how you know the struggle they're going through. And for me, that made a big difference in the way I had to do ministry with people, not just follow up once and then go on my way and say, I hope you get over it and get better, but to recognize, hey, you're down the road. They're going to be hurting. 
Love is yeah, as much it, a verb as it is a noun, huh? Hmm. Yeah, yep. that's so yep. so well said. And Tom, you bring up some, I think, really poignant examples about the way that love can operate in this world. And if we were to define biblical love, I think we would find that for a person who is growing in that kind of love, they're growing in, in a tender-hearted passion and compassion that that doesn't forsake other people and seeks their wholeness uh, according to how God defines wholeness in his kingdom, seeks their wholeness a- ahead of even oneself. And so there's this sort of self-sacrificing I will give towards you because I'm tender-hearted and, and compassionate towards you. And I don't know about you guys, but I can't drum that kind of thing up on my own. And I don't even think that we mm-hmm. are invited to do that. It says in First John that we love uh, because God first loves us, or beloved, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And and I just think it's one of those invitations that we have for people who want to grow in this tenderheartedness, in this in this passion, in this longing to see others made whole. That the invitation is again not to try to do it better or do it or or, or make a a firmer commitment to it, but is simply to yield to God and 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 to work in that divine partnership where God operates in us. Our response to the school shootings, for example, that were so horrific, um, if, mm. if we aren't if we aren't moved to some measure of tears, if we immediately go to some political place with it or wherever else, we're probably not operating within the kingdom soil that at least before we ask any other questions, can we at least pause and, and find ourselves in tears for the families uh, that have been utterly and ir- irrevocably broken in this journey, yeah. where it's going to be tears now for a lifetime. Th- this is the response that I think the world is looking for for believers, is that they're operating first and foremost from these places of love that the origin of which is God. I've been I've been saying to the guys that we, we don't miss Peter, but I'm taking that all back right now. <laughs> <laughs> you can go right back. You know, we missed you, Peter. Again. <laughs> yeah, it's good to have you back. No, that, Peter, that, that was brilliant analysis. Thank you for that. That was great. Yeah, I've genuinely missed you guys. It's funny, too. We talk on Guy Talk, don't we, often about the, the, the importance of fellowship and being with one another, and mm-hmm. I just built the environment oh, yeah. you've created. I, I just, even Faith Radio as a family is a place that I think people are increasingly coming to, to, to just want to do this kingdom journey together. It's not easy. You know, God yep. says in his word that he is a God of all compassion and comfort. And, uh, you know, when we say our thoughts are and prayers are with you, I, I, I get what people are trying to say. But I'd rather say my thoughts and I will pray for you, and this is how I will pray for you. I will pray that the God of all comfort comes upon you and gives you his comfort and his peace in this situation. Beautiful. I'm writing to a conference with an older pastor. I was quite young as a pastor. And we're driving along. This is All right, Tom, I hate to interrupt because you're, oh, you're, you're not in studio, so you don't see me waving at you right now. <laughs> which, no, which, I don't, and yeah. I will shut up. No, 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 you've got a great thought. What I want to do is come back to it after the break because uh, at the bottom of the hour, we go into a hard break, which just means that we go away. So if I don't say goodbye, nothing happens. We don't have a choice. We don't have a choice. Yep, so, yeah. I hear you. And I do want to invite people to continue sending over questions, uh, 877-933-2484. 877-933-2484. When we return, we're going to hear the rest of Tom Paris's story. You're listening to Guide Talk. Be right back. Show with Bill Arno, drive time, drive time, the 
He joined us today. Guy Talk is uh, happening this hour. Dr. Marcus Bachman is going to join me in hour two. Can't wait to have him here in studio as well. But for now, uh, we want your questions. So send them over, 877-933-2484. Pastor Tom Parrish, you had this uh, really good thought going right before the break, and I cut you off, and I'm going to let you back on. Go ahead. I'm glad you did, but here's what I was thinking. When you talk about this love and how fruit comes out of that, I'm going to a conference many years ago before cell phones with an older pastor. We were talking along the way at about 100 miles, and then he starts singing, and all of a sudden, he pulls the car off the road. Doesn't give me an explanation. Pulls it off, goes over to a payphone. I know a lot of young people listening don't know what a payphone is, but he went over to the payphone. He dropped his quarter in or whatever, and he was on for about 10 minutes, and he came back. And I said, what happened? He said, well, as we're driving along, you know, it came to my mind, I believe from the Lord, that I need to talk to Shirley, who lost her husband three months ago, and it's been a month since I talked to her, so... I decided I'd do it right then and there. Hmm. What he taught me is this. Too often, we have these thoughts from the Lord. We have this inner compulsion to do something or to do something that bears fruit. And we say, I'll get around to it when I can. Or I know that's important. What he taught me is if I don't do it at the moment, the chances are the devil's going to try to steal it away from me with other things. And so I love cell phones, guys. And you can get a call anytime, day or night from me when I feel led by the Lord. I love that. Listen to the Spirit you know, respond to his yeah. prompting. And I think, you know, the other thing associated with this is that when you say you're going to pray for someone, well, do it right then and there. When you hang up the phone or you finish the text and you say, I'm going to pray for you, do it right there. Or or even in their presence. Or even in their presence, yeah. if you're with them. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and I Good think you know, one of the things that, Je- and Jeff, you were talking during the break too, and some really helpful things just in terms of maybe how many of us experience even in our own lives that we fall in categories two and three or run into other believers that do where the word's being choked out or it's just, you know, it's not growing in the way that we'd like it to. Mm -hmm. And I think we've done a a fairly good job as an institutional church with the invitation to grow in the scriptures uh, in terms of our knowledge of the scriptures. And and that is so important. I just, I want to continue to emphasize the importance of, of dwelling within God's word. But I think then comparatively, we probably haven't done as much work with helping people. So how do you grow in this love that we're describing? I mean, we've talked about the soil, but but what are just some practical day in and day out ways? We we know the practical ways to get into God's word. There's a bazillion books out there from a bazillion different authors about we'll get into the word from this angle or this angle and all of that. And that is all unbelievably important. But I would love to see coming alongside of that an equal, if not greater, infrastructure within the church where shepherds are helping people grow in the kind of love uh, that is supernatural, a bit more mysterious because it involves an unseen God who is real and is active in our lives, but is nonetheless not any less reliable than the scriptures. Uh, Just because God is unseen doesn't mean that our activity with God and our relationship with God is somehow less reliable than pages that we turn uh, in, in the sacred word. And so I think if somebody wanted to spend a month um, reading through the book of Corinthians, go for it. I also think that if a person wanted to spend a month and they weren't reading the scriptures in that month, but they got up every morning and they said, you know what, God, 
I can't even really discern what's all going on in my own heart. I just know that I'm not operating in the kind of love that you've invited us into in your word. And so can you teach me? Can, can you give me insight through conversations with other faithful believers, through my thought life for, for just flashes of wisdom? And, and, and can you maybe even bring me into some of the trials and sufferings that are often required for the transformation of the heart? Because I want to grow in a heart of love and I, and I want to believe more deeply today. Just get up and do some kind of something like that, engagement with God for a month uh, and do it several times throughout the day, I can almost guarantee you that uh, that God will be faithful and and will begin to do the the surgery that the great physician does in our heart and begin to grow us as people of love. And, and I just can't emphasize it enough. Um, we talk sometimes about the the failures of the institutional church and the and the moral failures that we seem to see week in and week out right now. I'm going to suggest a lot of that is that we haven't shepherded believers in what it means to grow in a life of love and, and sort of that long road within all of that. I don't know what you guys think about that, but I just I think it's critical that we start giving infrastructure of a discipleship journey that grows in the characteristics of Christ's likeness alongside of the knowledge of the word. You know, Peter, one I of the things one of the things that I that your comments prompted my thinking is we have to understand what biblical love is. And I think that much of our culture, we define love as what that which brings us pleasure. Oh, I love my new truck. I love pizza. I love ice cream. You know, I love all kinds of things. Biblical love, this Greek word agape or agapeo, uh, the verb and the noun, this agapeo love mm-hmm. is a self-sacrificing love that always looks to the, the good of the other. This is the kind of love that God has for us, this agapeo love this love that where he gave himself up for us. That's the kind of love. And if we understood true biblical love instead of this, you know, false love that we have for all these other things, I think that would go a long way to doing what you just described, Peter. And I think church leaders have to come to grips with the fact that too many of us get a theological education. We don't get a practical education. And as a result, we go out and we teach theology and Bible study, even if it's verse by verse. And it sounds really good, but most people leave those Bible studies in your church and don't have a clue what to do with those things. I think part of the teaching process, and uh, fortunately I'm married to a teacher, so she's beaten me up with this over the years, is that when you talk, like we're talking about biblical love right now, she would tell me, if you don't come up with at least two or three examples and challenge the people to do this in their own life of real practical stories of how that love is put to work, Tom, they're not going to understand what you're really talking about. They'll forget it when they go home, even if they put notes on the refrigerator. It's just gone. You have to give them practical examples. And I've learned that's right, and that's what I've been trying to do. Yeah, and Jeff, I love your point, too, about how do we define that love. And, And Tom, your point about... Um, just how we train people as shepherds. I know I've taught in seminary the last probably 13 or 14 years of my life, and and we spend comparatively literal, little time as shepherds within seminary shepherding the shepherds who then are active as pastors in the church. We spend very yes. little time talking about what it means to grow in this kind of life that we're trying to describe today here as part of the show. That's 
different than how we're typically trained, which is, so how do we understand the Greek language or what's going on in the text? Or here's some uh, a massive book on systematic theology. And, and we spend yep. semesters after semesters on these things. And I do genuinely love those conversations. I'm just troubled by the fact that there is an incredible vacuum when it comes to the conversations of what it means to grow an authentic Christ-likeness. And, and Jeff, what you said, I think is so important that we're not talking about some sort of squishy um, grandmotherly wet kiss love of our culture that, you know, <laughs> whatever that would be, right? It, um, we're, we're talking about a love that is that is fierce. Um, you brought up agape, and, and, it, and it seeks to put somebody else's needs ahead of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And I think we can even add another dimension to it, that um, there's the Hesed love of the Old Testament, which is the love that is never forsaking. It continues to pursue. It's a long-suffering kind of love. And then you also have this Hebrew word, ahava, which is this idea of a tender-hearted, compassionate love. So when we grow in the love of the kingdom, not only are we putting the needs of other people ahead of ourselves, but we're not doing it through gritted teeth, like, I don't really want to do this, but I guess I will. Right. You know, that, that doesn't bring another person's heart to life. You know what does mm -hmm. bring another person's heart to life? When they can look you in the eye and they can sense that what is true about you is that you have a passionate heart towards them that is for yeah. them and won't forsake them and will stay on the journey with them and that you will put their needs ahead of from, from that place. You'll be putting their needs ahead of your own. That just causes the heart to explode. And and this is why we see a greater love. Um, the, the greatest love was demonstrated on the cross, right? While we were yet sinners, um, God didn't leave us or forsake us from his tenderhearted, passionate affection for his children. He came putting our needs ahead of his own and went to the cross for Pete's sake. I mean, we, we see that love demonstrated right there. This is the kind of love that can operate among the believers of the church. I just I think it would transform the world if we start going that direction along with our wow. theological inquiry and along with our biblical study. I'm guessing, Tom, as a pastor, now I don't sit in your pews, I'm guessing that as you teach these precepts to your church, you love the people in your church. And Peter, I'm guessing that in your classroom, oh, yeah. as you teach these things to your students, I'm guessing you display a genuine love for these students. Yep. Absolutely. Well, yeah, and if I can just be transparent for a minute, Jeff, on that, um, too, I, I can say that I didn't always. Um, I, I know for sure that probably the first five or six years of my teaching career, I was far more consumed with making sure that I could climb the resume ladder and, and get a position that was safe and stable. And and you sort of, you, you know, you want to love the students, but I was mostly there with the students, uh, hoping that I could build my own career. It was pretty self-centered. And, and it wasn't until later in that journey that I was very convicted and said, oh, dear, uh, my life is just a vapor. Are you kidding me? I'm here to build my own little kingdom for what, about 30 seconds in the midst of God's eternity? It, it might be better to operate out of love. And, and then it got to be a journey that was difficult to, to grow in those things. You just exposed wow. yourself because that's what you're doing on Guy Talk right now, trying to build your resume. I, I, I am. I'm a total fraud, Bill. Yeah, you go to hypocrite.com. My, my picture is right there. So. If I honestly, if I had the power, Peter, and I mean this with all my heart, with your understanding, which you just shared about that passion for your students and passion for getting that out, even at the seminary level, uh, I would want you to be the, the president of every seminary in the country. Because most seminary professors I know and presidents, and nice people, don't get me wrong, but they're so academic that as a pastor, I go out of my mind when I try to talk to them about what it means to be with the dying, what it means to be with an unwed mother, what it means to be with somebody who's dying of a disease, and how you minister to them. 
because they're theologically solid, but they don't know what to do beyond that. And 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 you mentioned big thick books. I've I've looked and read Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. It's a big thick theology book. But I've also had the chance to have dessert and meet in in, in the home of Wayne Grudem. And I can tell you, the man will love you. He is a loving, yep. gentle man as well. So, yeah, yep, good word. All right, here's a question. If you were sentenced to six months in solitary confinement, and I, I can see one of you uh, doing that. I'm not going to say I'm Come not, not going to say who. Oh. <laughs> no. Oh, no, let me finish. He wasn't looking at me, I just wasn't for the looking record, at in studio. <laughs> you were sentenced to you and me, Peter. <laughs> six months in solitary confinement, and you were not allowed a Bible, but you were permitted one book from the Bible. What would it be and why? Ah, wonderful. Well, I would want, personally, I would want the Gospel of John because it is the most endearing narrative about Jesus and the most personal that I've read anywhere. And it, to me, it sums up in Jesus what the 39 books of the Old Testament and the others of the New Testament really are talking about. So that's the one I'd want. I might go with Psalms uh, just because, uh, A, there's a lot of chapters, so it'll keep me occupied uh, for a while, but also, too, um, I just, I think there's a lot in there that would that would um, help to stay steady in terms of lament and, and void and grief and sorrow uh, of having to be alone. I, I think that I could sympathize with, with the different psalmist writers as they're crying out to God in those places. I would probably take Leviticus because it would take me six months in solitary to, <laughs> to get through it. <laughs> Don't blend that cotton oh. either, Bill. You know that. I, mean, so. I, I, I like John. I like Psalm. I, I could think of Revelation, to be honest. I, I love teaching God's plan sure. for the end of the age. I love Romans. There's so much doctrine and truth there. Yep. I'm going to go with a short little, the short little book of Philippians, however, wow. because Philippians teaches me. I think Philippians 3 and 4 are two great chapters on how to live yep. by faith and yep. knowing how to be content in every and all situations. So I, I, I might just tuck that little Philippians book in my pocket. Mm. All right. So um, The Thief on the Cross on the cross, uh, hears the gospel at the last minute, understands spiritual truth at the last minute. Now that we are living in this uh, technical age that we are, um, and we're, we all have information in a much more broader sense, are we under a different responsibility? I think I'll let you guys think about that. We'll answer that when we come back. We'll take a short break. You're listening to Guide Talk. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. We're uh, enjoying Guy Talk today, and I love this discussion. It's been great, and this hour goes so fast. 
Right before the break, I made a reference to a question that came in about the thief on the cross hearing the gospel at the last minute. And now that things are revealed unto all, are we under a different responsibility? Jeff, you had some thoughts on that. I I think we're under exactly the same responsibility. Um, You know, Jesus went to Caesarea Philippi in in the book of Matthew, I think it's 16, and he says, uh, who, asks his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And there, there couldn't be more a more important question. Who is this Jesus? And how you answer that question is going to determine your eternal fate. Um, is Jesus the God in the flesh who came and died and rose again and is seated at the right hand of the Father and offers salvation through faith in him? And that question, what are you going to do with this person, Jesus, is the same today as it was to the thief at the cross. Remember what he said. He said, Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Mm-hmm. He understood who this guy was, believed who he said he was, and believed that he had the power to bring them both into the kingdom, even though they're both about to die. What a picture of salvation. It's a good picture, and I agree, Jeff, with what you're saying. I was looking at Romans ten seventeen. so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And I was looking at that Greek word hearing, trying to get a better understanding one of the ways it can be translated is not only the physical hearing, but internal instruction. In other words, what you hear with your ears, you take into your heart, and it produces then a response, and a response that is instructive or step-by-step in coming back to Jesus. That's what the thief did on the cross because he spoke up, and that's what we're called to do. So even though there's a mm-hmm. plethora of, of information out there, I'm not sure how many people have really heard in the first place. And that's why we have to, you know, mass media is wonderful, and I'm for it. But that's still that one-on-one, sharing what Jesus done in my life, inviting him into another person is so critical because people need to put it to work immediately. All right. Thank you. Uh, Peter, are you still with us? I think we're having a technical issue with Peter because he disappeared. He just sent me a text. So I hope yep. he's still Aww. Oh, okay, good. You can hear me? I can hear you now. Yeah, thank okay, you. Okay, yeah, something dropped for just a minute there. Okay, yeah. good. Wasn't intentional. All right. Uh, <laughs> at what point? I don't a, believe that at all. <laughs> at what point? At what point in his life did Jesus realize that he was the Christ, the Son of God? I'd say yes. Hmm. Yeah, that's one of those questions that the Scripture that we we talk often about. We have understandable questions, but Scripture for some reason, was not uh, interested in answering that particular question for us. So it's it's tough to say. But, um, yeah, I'd be curious your guys' thoughts on that. But I think it's hard to have a hard and fast answer on that one. I don't think there is any hard and fast answer. The Bible does not detail, you know, this awareness of Jesus. Uh, he just always was there to do the Lord's will. You know, the only clue that we have is um, when they went to Jerusalem, and uh, so Jesus was a, still a child, but older. I, can't, I think he was like 12 when this happened. 12 years old. 12 years yep. old. And so they went to the Jerusalem. They went to the temple. Mom and dad leave, right? And and they leave Jesus behind. It's like, you got to wonder what they were thinking. It's like, you know, I, my 12-year-olds were rarely out of my sight when they were kids. But they come back and they said, don't you know that I needed to be in my father's house? He was actually teaching the teachers of the law. And uh, and so he was already wise at that age. And he already seemed to have this concept that this was his father's house. So that's about the only clue that we have about right. how quickly or how soon he truly understood who he was and the role that he 
uh, came to earth, who was incarnate uh, to perform. Yep. So, uh, Peter, I, I would love to hear a little bit about, because uh, we don't have tons of time left, and I have a couple more questions, but I, I'm real curious about uh, your time overseas, and I know when you get what you've described to me was a little bit of a Sabbath rest. I know that is something many of us are in need of, and we we need that break from our routine. You got it, and if you would, share what it was like to just be refreshed in that regard. Yeah, hey, I appreciate the invitation on that. It really was that. I haven't had a chance to be off the grid for probably even a couple of years. And, and most people, there's many people that don't get a chance even for decades. So I, I very much sympathize with, with that and I'm really grateful for that time. I think what I experienced is I had been away from uh, some of my friends there who are believers, followers of Jesus as well. And obviously COVID had kept us apart from being face to face. And uh, I think what I was really encouraged by in my time over there is that um, there, there was still such an affinity of hearts when we were back in the same space together. And, and I think that speaks to the fact that we are tied together as followers of Jesus in ways that maybe we don't always appreciate or understand, but it creates a different kind of atmosphere in the room. So I think my Sabbath was was a bit of a relational Sabbath with other believers who have been following Jesus in their own ways over these last two or three years during this global pandemic that has been so devastating in so many different kinds of ways. And yet, they were still people of hope, and they were still people of joy, and they were still people who were growing in love. Um, they they hadn't been knocked out of the race, and um, and I think that that experience really just encouraged my heart uh, a lot to stay in this journey. Uh, and I think we all need it, don't we, with other believers we to do. to keep walking this out this way. And so that was really encouraging to be with people. One, one of my friends is from Australia, another friend from Z- New Zealand, other friends grew up in Scotland. So we're talking about four different countries, including mine of America, gathering together under the banner of Jesus. And, um, and in that, it was just, it helped me fix my eyes again in the heavenly kingdom in a different kind of way. Wow. I like, appreciate that. Anybody else have a Sabbath experience? Jeff, you just raised your eyebrows. I, I'm trying to think. Okay, um, you know we the church, the church isn't under the law of the Sabbath, right? True. But uh, the principle, you principle. know, the man Sabbath was made for the man, not man for the Sabbath. So the principle is that we shouldn't work all the time. There should be we should have this day of rest, just as God rested from His own work. That's where the pattern for the Sabbath uh, came. So that time of rest, that time of refreshment, and hopefully that time of rest is also associated with uh, withdrawing closer to God. I mean, that, I think, is in the end is the principle of the Sabbath. But I love the passage from Hebrews 4, actually, that says, it remains for the people of God a, a, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. I think in the mm-hmm. Old Testament, uh, God said, here's one day of rest. I think for the believer in Christ, every single day is a Sabbath rest. We have entered the Sabbath rest of God in Christ, so we can, the next verse, rest from our own work. Mm -hmm. And because we're coming up on a memorial weekend, which is an opportunity for reflection on the the sacrifice that was made, and also maybe some rest and time with the Lord, Jeff, I'd love for you to talk in the last few minutes about your experience at Normandy Beach. Oh, wow. So, yeah, we went to uh, the guys of our family, went to Normandy, 
And uh, it was quite an experience um, to see mm-hmm. firsthand the, the, the magnitude at which those men were facing as they approached the beach. They were wide open on that long beach. And I sat in some of these pillboxes, and you can just see some of the guns and, and, and the fire and the advantage that these guys had. They were supposed to have been bombarded with shells to destroy all these um, bunkers, but it, it didn't work. And, you know, the first waves of men just were, were slaughtered landing on that beach. But they grabbed a foothold. They got up into the uh, the high ground. And then they had to battle these hedgerows. And I can tell you that those are even uh, just as ferocious. Uh, but standing in that cemetery um, with those hundreds and hundreds and thousands of, of graves uh, was quite stirring. Um, our freedom is not free. And we should never forget that. And we should thank God's provision and protection in this land called America, and don't forget to ask God to continue to bless this land. Amen. Amen. I can't top that one. Nope. So I think we should uh, say goodnight. Goodnight. <laughs> goodnight. <laughs> <laughs> All right, gentlemen, have a great rest of the day. Thank you for being with me. I'm going to take a little break. When we come back, Dr. Marcus Bachman will be joining me, and we are going to learn 15 things every Christian should know right from Dr. Marcus Bachman. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, Tom, did you say something there at the end? You, I heard I you squeak. wonderful. Oh, good. Nope, he, he, Marcus has always got a lot of good things to say, so make sure you listen. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Anybody else want to chime in here right before we say goodbye? No, it's good to have Peter back. Welcome back, Peter. I'm yeah. glad you had a good rest. Yep. Yeah, thanks, you guys. So great to be with all of you today. Really yeah, good. Likewise. All right, True. we'll take a break, and we'll be right back with Dr. Marcus Bachman. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.